morning, and welcome to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm glad you've made the connection and are with us today. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and the goal of our show is to explore a wide range of topics that challenge us to see ourselves, our community, and the world around us in ways that get us thinking, get us laughing, get us wondering, get us imagining, get us connected, and perhaps inspired or challenged to do just a bit more because we made the connection. Hosting with me today is Rick Bernardo, and last week we kicked off uh, our series on the diversity of love connections. February is a big love month, and we decided to look at love in a variety of ways. And when you hear that paper wrestling, that that's just our friend Rick making sure he's got all his notes. There we go. Rick. I'm, I'm not reading the newspaper. <laughs> it's just actual notes. So, Rick, as you've pulled up your notes – Share with us some of your ideas that you had in creating this series. Oh, that. There are so many layers and and, and we're going to speak with Maggie Huffman about – she does a lot of work with layers of love, layers to relationships, layers horizontal and vertical in what love can be. And uh, we're exploring uh, – this weekend and last, uh, the diversity of love connections, and that can have a lot to do with how we relate to our own paths in life. Uh, so uh, Maggie Huffman is an executive leadership coach based in Sonoma, California, north of where I lived for many years in the Bay Area. She's the founder of Color Thinking which uh, we'll, we'll hear more about. It's fascinating. She spent over 20 years in the wine industry and the STEM field, that's science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And she started as a temp uh, probably not long after we parted ways in graduate school and climbed the corporate ladder to the C-suite. So I was just amazed, not shocked, but amazed at how uh, many positions she went through as I knew her over the years. And uh, she held several, several degrees and certifications uh, all about helping others, and she's authored books in recent years. Uh, she uses a unique mix of science, corporate strategies, medical, physical mysteries, and old-fashioned pop culture to help make working with her fun and make it a rewarding experience. So her website is um, therainbowonion.com. So Maggie, I'll stop talking and, and, and ask you to say good morning, and I say good morning to you. Good morning, Rick. <laughs> Good morning to you both. I, I, have, I do have a question for you. Uh, we've talked about love last week in terms of you know self love as well as you know sometimes combating our fear of expectations and whatnot. I think as we choose what career we want or what we want to do um, out in either the corporate or you know professional life, um, we can not always feel aligned. Um, we can either feel great passion and love of what we're doing and sometimes not. How, how do you approach coaching executives as they're on their, their journey? Because there is a love of doing you know, something rewarding and that you want to eventually be in a, a job, I would assume, that doesn't feel like you even would need to be paid if, if you were aligned to that passion. Absolutely. I um, I agree. When – when you love what you do, I mean, it's, you still want to get paid, right? There's sure, we have to. We want to get paid, yeah. Right. But when you love, it's when you love what you do. You, um, I think, the one of the biggest 
things that you discover is you still have room for life. So you can love your life and love your work. That to me is what true work-life balance is. When you, you have enough energy left over and, and in fact, maybe you even get energy from the work that you do that you can still love your life. And, and how does that, how does that occur? I mean, how, how do you make the discoveries or allow yourself to find the discoveries of loving what you do? Because so often it, our society is just pushing us towards either making more money or just get a job. You know, passion's nice, but it doesn't pay the bills. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, if, you know, if I had an answer that I could <laughs> give to you in two sentences, yeah. I would bottle it and make, yeah. you know, make everybody happy. But, <laughs> but, uh, but, Fundamentally, I think it really is getting to know who you are, being comfortable in your own skin, finding, understanding your own gifts, being comfortable with the things that aren't gifts, aren't your gifts, and and what might be your challenges and opportunities because you don't have to be perfect, and then figuring out where you can use those doing something that you like to do. I think you have to start liking it, then you'll learn to love it. Is there a difference between a career and a vocation? There can be. There sure can be. Um, A vocation, you don't necessarily have to be paid for. For example, lots of musicians feel that that that's their their vocation, their calling, if you will, but they they have day jobs to fund it. I think that can happen really frequently. Sometimes you get the career that you love that's a calling, that's a vocation. Um, and sometimes a career is just something that you really, really like doing, but it, it could be something else. Um, yeah. Because you like what you're doing, not necessarily where you're doing it, or, or you, you might even just love the people that you're working with and you care about them and their success doesn't matter what industry you're in that is that's definitely a career it still may not be a vocation and when you're coaching folks how do you what are some things that you like to do to help establish um the relationship and and be able to have them explore these ideas um i do i do a lot of exercises and i i really get to know them, um, I tend to have them. One of the <clears throat> sorry, there's the, we'll go down one of two roads. One is we're either exploring what they do and how to figure out whether they like it or not, and if they don't like it, how to find what they do, what mm-hmm. they do want. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes there's this challenge of really admitting I'm not happy and I don't love what I'm doing, but I should. So we work through that if that's the case. But uh, um, there's another lane to go down, which is I love, I like what I'm doing. I want to learn to love it and I want to be better at it. And in, in that case, then we work on uh, skills and beliefs and opportunities and development and um, really taste success and get, a, get um, almost addicted to what, what success feels like so that there's always more and more success. That, was that clear? Yes. Yeah. Well, the path <laughs> is okay. either it, it's, it sounds like either a less than or a more than I want more of this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or I, mean, I want that's, less of that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. And, and so the first step is often 
learning to understand feedback, it seems, mm-hmm. it seems like it's, this is a non sequitur, but it's, but it's not because um, feedback is information. So often we turn the feedback that we get from the world around us into something that is, uh, we make it mean something about us instead of it just yeah. being information. And we, we turn it inward so much that, that we can't really glean what we should be able to glean from it. So we, so I almost always start with, let's, let's get you comfortable with getting feedback so that you can treat it as information and but then, is, is then some, you're more informed. Is some of the challenge of getting information part of the power structure so that if someone who is supervising you and in a power dynamic gives you feedback, there is fear <laughs> that can be addressed in yep. there. And there's also, yep. um, again, that feeling less than instead of being able to process the information. Um, so there's I, almost a double-barrel fear coming at you. This this person is my supervisor, and I need to do what they say. And if I'm not doing it right, I must be doing it wrong. Yes, absolutely. And that's why understanding that feedback is information is so important. Yeah. Um, feed when you when you when you hear that in your it's fear, you are making it mean something about you. You take right. it personally. You are you become you're. You are less than, you are not empowered, and you're the victim of what somebody else tells you and what somebody else thinks. And you, but just, when you, understand and you can walk away just feeling just bad instead of horrible. being able to have yeah. it mean anything. Right. You can't, you can't get anything out of it other than I'm terrible right. or they hate me. And or, I'm not good enough. That's not good enough. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. But when you understand, when we, when, when we learn that feedback is information – that it is, I, I, I learn how to not take it personally. This doesn't necessarily mean anything about me, particularly not my worth right. as a human being. It might be that I'm misbehaving or I don't have a skill. <laughs> okay, that's fine, but I'm, yeah. and, I'm still And a, be able to roll human. with it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we can turn the insight into, okay, so even if they're wrong, I can still learn something. I can learn what their biases are. Right. I can learn what's important to them. And then I have not only have I empowered myself about my own belief about myself, my own my own value, I've also just given myself some information that I can use to help get along with them or explain something to them or show them what they want to see, however I decide right. to use it, I've just given myself. Because very often the person who's delivering some of those messages are also fear-based and may be relieved at, yes. at it being processed and not taken too personally. And then it opens up the door yes. for more information. But you said something that really struck me that I think is really important about you know your value. I mean, that's where it really comes down. Yes. When, when you feel comfortable yeah. with your value – you can have feedback that can be processed as information. Yes, yes. And and yeah. Matt, when you, you know, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead, Rick. I was gonna, well. Uh, I was going to say uh, it reminds me. You know, now Meg and I know each other from graduate school years ago in uh, in Berkeley at the uh, Pacific School of Religion. But I remember um, when I got there and I first met Maggie. Um, some of the, my professors were like. 
Rick, where did you learn to write? Actually, one of my professors asked me to author a paper with her. I was like, whoa. But anyway, the whole source of that was a teacher, actually more than one teacher in college that taught me not only how to write but how to take the feedback about my writing. And I, by the time I was done with those teachers – because they would assign me uh, to other teachers who would also work on my writing. By the time I was done with them, I knew how to write. And it was only from uh, exercising, getting the feedback. Uh, and that whole attitude, the teachers had some power over me. It's not like a job, but but that was the whole source of me, not only learning how to write, but learning how to learn. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's exactly what being able to take feedback not personally is a way to learn, learning how to learn. Well, I think it's great that we're exploring love and um, almost creating a space for learning as love and, and being able to love getting feedback because we can process it as information and not a value judgment. Good morning and welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. Uh, We're continuing our series with our friend Rick Bernardo on looking at the diversity of love, how we can look at love in so many different ways. And Rick has been so kind to invite wonderful guests. And I'd love to have you, speaking of love, introduce your friend Maggie Hoffman, who is joining us in the second segment as well. Maggie Hoffman is a a leadership coach and has worked for many years in the wine industry and various kinds of executive executive leadership positions. Uh, And uh, I know her for years. And, you know, um, Maggie Huffman, I need to thank you for – you helped me get my first good resume together. I don't know how that happened, how (laughs) I learned that you could help me with that. I think you just offered it. And that goes back some years and it really helped me be on a path to so many careers and vocations. So, um, So thanks again for being with us, Maggie. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. So, Maggie, tell me about the Rainbow Onion. The Rainbow Onion is uh, my, it's my, that's, it's, it's a book and it's a way of thinking and it's a website and it's, it really expresses my love of coaching. Um, the rain, the Rainbow Onion is a book about color thinking. And the reason it's called the Rainbow Onion is rainbow is color but the onion is um, about how humans process things. We process things in layers. And I love the metaphor of the onion because as you peel one layer off, the next one is, can be pretty intense and pungent. And sometimes there's tears. Yeah. Um, and we just, <laughs> and what, but yet what's not better without adding an onion? Like what food besides maybe strawberry shortcake? And and now I I want to have an onion with each layer being a different color. I'm I'm visualizing the yellow, red, blue, orange, purple layers of onion. I I want to colorize my onion. Yeah, yeah. I wish I could find one like that. That would be awesome. So, and it is, they are wonderful to saute as well as great in a salad. But getting Mm -hmm. back to... (laughs) <laughs> how that can help um, as a metaphor 
in working with leaders. Have you had some aha moments in your coaching that helped you understand how better to, to create that peeling back of onions? Yes. And that's where color comes in. Um, So as leaders, we're really just humans, right? I mean, we don't turn into something else when we go, when we go to work, we're still humans who, who just go out the door in different clothes. Um, And to be able to understand that all the things that impact, if it's true in our life, it's true for us at, at work. Maybe we can hide behind professionalism a little bit, but it's still there. Um, and the thing that holds us back most as humans in, in, in either situation or in any situation is um, are, are the beliefs that we hold about ourselves in the world that we're not aware of those um, unconscious inherited and most often outdated um, beliefs. And when we try to approach them with language, we can, we have ways of doing that. We have coaching, regular coaching. We have um, talk, talk therapy. There are all kinds of ways that we can approach it using words, but words filter through, through our brain and it takes a long time. We have a huge capacity in our brain for visual processing, and we also have a whole history of using color in our life. Colors have meanings for us, and they have emotions. And so if we apply color to, um, to the changes that we want to make, if we use the language of color to do that, it's so fast because our brain is set up to process things like that visually mm-hmm. very quickly. So, so my aha is that by accessing colors and the meaning of colors, we can make changes in leaders and in our leadership style much more quickly than we can with any other, any other uh, modality I found. That was a long way to no, say. No, no, it's great. It's a shortcut. <laughs> and a follow-up quick question. Do colors mm-hmm. have different meaning to different people? And so the colors vary with, with how you coach or are there some, trends you see in like the blues <laughs> that that elicit but, certain things both because colors have, colors as, as a language have, la- have again have layers of meaning they we can have the most um the most basic universal things like yellow for the sun and sunflowers so yellow has an energy of of joy um it's also related to to fear so there's a there's a uh, what I call a, a bright side and a shadow side. Mm. You can use, you need to understand both elements, the spectrum of just within that one color. Um, but then there's also a cultural uh, layer. Um, there can be a, um, a, a spiritual or a symbolic layer based on your life experience. And then there's your own memories. Like if, for example, my, one of my favorite dresses when I was a, uh, a child had sunflowers all over it. Those that yellow means something different to me mm-hmm. than it's going to, to you. Mm-hmm. So understanding that all of that is there, there's, there are messages and energies about color, but it, it's not, it's, there's no such thing as a one, one size fits all anything, but certainly not with color. We can start with what's universal, mm-hmm. but then layer in what a person's experience in history is and let them build their own language of color. Uh, are there colors that, um, that draw you to help 
also in looking at what makes you happy in your career? Is that part of it too? Is being able to uh, uh, get a sense of this today I'm feeling yellow and and with that yellow I it's the 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 sunflower side of yellow and then when I'm I'm doing this kind of work I feel like I can really bloom. Is that part of it or is there a different way of looking at the colors and how you coach executives? Um, that's that's an interesting way. I had never thought of it that way. So I'm going to have to go play with that. Oh, good. What I um, <laughs> what I what I do is ask. Generally, we find what is holding someone back. What's their obstacle? Mm-hmm. Um, and the for for example, someone may be feeling very constrained. They may feel like they have no choices. They can feel like they're just trapped in their job. Um, I know that that the color that they need is green because green is expansive and you think of open fields. And so they'll crave the green. The shadow side of green is feeling like you're trapped and you have no, no choices, but the, the bright side, the freeing side is the, and the healing side is that open green, that fresh possibilities, that expansiveness. So we work with both aspects of that color and we, we um, identify where they want to go with the color and we intentionally associate that with green. Then they place green around them. They, they visualize green, but you also use your, use your eyes. So you, you find something green to look at or you get yourself in a green space and you quickly associate that. You, you wear green color. You, you, you wear, you you want to eat eat collard greens. You do. (laughs) Yep. You celebrate green. Yeah, 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 exactly. And it, you sh- and by doing that, you you can um, very quickly go. You, you shortcut all all those outdated beliefs about I'm a victim, I'm trapped, I'm whatever, and you begin to see. Oh, when I when I see green, I get this emotion of freedom and expansion and choices, and then I begin to see. Hmm that I have more freedom and expansion and choices because the more you think about something, the more you notice the things that are like it, right? I, there's a, there's a, um, there's a pattern that we do with that. And so then it begins to open up. You know, I, I'm going to have to go buy your book. So I'm going to buy your book on the rainbow onion and we're going to need to have you come back because I have so many follow-up questions, but I, I, <laughs> I, I'm in the countdown now of, of what I need to do to, to close this segment. And I'm heartbroken because oh. I want to continue to discuss about colors. I'm thinking of Kermit not e- being easy being green, but I also <laughs> yeah. am thinking of how, how wonderful green could be. So I would say go to the rainbowonion.com if you want to see and experience a little more. Either that or maggiehuffman.com, both of those wonderful websites as an introduction. Thank you, Maggie, for being with us today. Oh, thank you. And, and having us thank explore um, our love of what we do and maybe finding ways to pursue our love through color and peeling back yeah. the onion, not being afraid to shed a few tears. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm glad you've made the connection and joined the conversation today. We are having a show that is a continuation of a series on the diversity of love. 
We had a marvelous conversation with Maggie Hoffman uh, in our first two segments. And our friend Rick Bernardo is our co-host today. That's me. And Rick designed this idea of the diversity of love. And I'm going to let you introduce our next guest. And just to be clear, I didn't design the whole idea of love for for the earth or the planet, just just for these broadcasts, uh, just a through theme of the diversity of love connections and the many forms and layers that love can take in our lives. And uh, Especially in February when there's a whole lot of emphasis on just one kind of love. And we've <laughs> just gone through Valentine's Day, but we still have sort of – Love in the air. Yeah, and we were speaking with Maggie Huffman about layers of vocation and uh, service and leadership and her work in that area. And Reverend uh, Dean J. Seal, we've had on our broadcast before uh, back in April uh, talking about his work in arts and spirituality and also the theme of justice. But a little bit about him, uh, Reverend Dean J. Seal is pastor of Shepherd of the Hill Church. That's a Presbyterian church in Chastity. Uh, at chaskachurch.com. You, you can find the, the history and their current work, and that'll be, we'll co- come back to that. But he was ordained to ministry uh, also in interfaith dialogue back in 2008. He's got several degrees in the arts and spirituality and a master of divinity, which you kind of need to be a pastor. Uh, and he was also adjunct professor of religion at Augsburg University for many years. Uh, he's also got, and I think this is maybe how we came across, he each other and first started speaking, uh, Reverend Dean and I uh, both have different uh, layers of background in show business. <laughs> and, and uh, for example, he's an award-winning producer for the Minnesota Fringe Festival, which is famous. Uh, and he also performed in Mr. Elk and Mr. Seal on Comedy Central, uh, wrote for Prairie Home Companion, MTV and elsewhere. Anyway, after all that, Reverend Dean, how, how are you doing today? I'm good, and uh, uh, thanks for bringing up the showbiz thing. I'm one of the only people you'll ever meet who can sing La Bamba in Norwegian and Japanese and Hebrew. <laughs> I love it. Um, I someday, did not know that. Someday, Pastor uh, Dean, we're going to have you come back and, and show us. <laughs> uh, you can only do one at a time. If you do all three of them, it really wears out. Oh. It's very confusing. Very That's confusing. called speaking yeah. in tongues, though. Uh, it, it would, it would, you'd have to go there. Uh, well, yeah, my f- we're, we're not that end of, uh, of the spiritual uh, uh, thing. The pres- Presbyterians don't speak in tongues. Well, we're, we're kind of buttoned up, aren't we? You know, it's, I, maybe well, it's, the, we, it's the Scottish roots that, that keep us yeah. uh, buttoned up a bit. Oh, man. Very much. Good and proper order. That's right. And and it's the basis of getting decisions done, right, in good community. That's right. And committee. You make decisions. That's right. And you make something happen. Yeah. And we act on them, which is part of the conversation we're going to have today with you about love and justice throughout history and in a particular yeah. emphasis of Minnesota housing. So tell us about that. Yeah, when when Rick uh, brought this to me, he, he brought up a phrase that comes up a lot, uh, which is uh, something that Cornell West said. He said, justice is what love looks like in public. Oh, I like that. Okay. So... Uh, uh, Cornel West uh, wrote this. He edited a book called The Radical King, which is a collection of uh, Dr. King stuff that uh, shows that he was much more radical than people give him credit for. Mm-hmm. He was a, a advocate for uh, <clears throat> not just for black people, but for all poor people. 
And uh, uh, I've worked with a, a pastor, Doug Mitchell, who grew up in Birmingham, uh, Alabama, and was around for a lot of that. And I asked, uh, I asked him if he thought Dr. King got killed because he said uh, he was against the war in Vietnam. And he said, no, it was the Poor People's March because he was going to bring together uh, black and white poor people. It was going to be the uh, end of uh, dividing the two, because when you divide uh, uh, the black and white poor people from each other, uh, they don't have the collective power to change things. So uh, that's one of the that's one of the great things about Dr. King is he wanted to uh, bring everyone together to uh, to create justice. Uh, and justice in housing means uh, you can afford to live somewhere. Uh, and uh, uh, housing issue is uh, our number one mission at the church, Shepherd of the Hill. Uh, it was that way before I got there. There was a commitment to families that were homeless. Now, Scott and Carver County uh, are the only two counties in the metro area that don't have emergency homeless shelters. Uh, so we, we were come, homeless families were coming to our church asking for food, asking for money, and uh, other churches, they all got together and they said, why don't we let them sleep in our churches at night? Mm-hmm. There's a line from Isaiah that says, bring the homeless people into your house. Okay, Now that's an act of public love to a stranger. Uh, and uh, they, they started to organize it so that people would move from one church to another to another, uh, until we ran out of churches. I mean, we didn't have all 52 weeks covered. Right. Um, and that's not a really great experience of moving every week yeah. and sleeping in a church, but it beats sleeping in your car. Okay? Especially, especially when it's cold. These, you know, it, yeah, it, a lot of these families are doing that. Mm. So uh, that commitment has grown, and uh, uh, it's, it's dovetailed into the work of Beacon Interfaith Housing. Now, you, uh, I don't know if you've heard of those guys. Uh, they started as the Plymouth Neighborhood Improvement Association, coming out of Plymouth Congregational Church. Yeah. And uh, they had the same thing of, of dealing with homeless people. So they, they like, bought this uh, motel that was at the end of their block oh, really? that uh, had gone out of business and made it into a, a homeless shelter. They got a lot of pushback from the neighborhood, but they started to explore the housing crisis, which is a national crisis. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in Los Angeles, they just declared an emergency uh, for this 40,000 homeless people on the streets. And so uh, Beacon said, you know, uh, the number one problem we see is elders. They can't move out of their houses. They would like to downsize, but there's no place to move into, even if they had the money. Okay. So they started building senior residences and they built like three of those in St. Paul. And then when I first encountered them, they were building a place on Nicollet Avenue in 56, and it was for young people, 16 to 24. And a lot of those were uh, LGBTQ uh, kids have been kicked out of the house. Uh, And uh, they came to Westminster Presbyterian, which was my home church, and uh, Plymouth Congregational in Westminster kicked in and raised a million bucks. Westminster gave three quarters of that, and, and Plymouth gave a quarter of it to build this house okay now that is the collective power of a community a faith community saying we're gonna we're gonna make something happen we're gonna make a decision here and we're gonna uh create something that wouldn't be there otherwise the mark the, you know republicans like to talk about the invisible hand of the marketplace is going to solve all our problems yeah no that's not the case <laughs> yeah not the case 
So the, the invisible hand here was uh, a couple of uh, Protestant churches who said, let's build this building, you know, because homeless kids, yeah. uh, especially LGBTQ, end up being sex trafficked, yeah. right? Uh, because they, they're desperate for money. They have no place to live. And, and, so, uh, and what strikes me is that a home is not only a roof over your head. Home can be health. You know, if yeah. if you are on the streets and you don't have access to health care because you're just worried about making sure that there's a roof over your head or you're safe for a night, you're not going to be looking at all the other things that you need. But once you have that roof over your head, you can start taking care of yourself and you can get connected to, to health resources and whatnot. You're saving lives when you yes. provide a house, housing. Yes. And you're making a very important point, which is that there, there, somebody might have a little uh, buffet of problems they're trying to deal with, but right. if you, you can't really solve any of them until you've found a place to live. Right. So by identifying housing as the, as the priority, then you can begin to solve other problems. Well, it's the Maslow hierarchy. You've got to have the foundation, right? You gotta, yeah. <laughs> and when, then with the foundation, you know, you can move up. But I think sometimes this, the idea of we don't have to give money out, they can pull themselves up with their bootstraps. Well, that's pretty... Not if they don't have boots. Exactly. <laughs> Where's the straps? There's no boots. Come on. We, you, you, need to have the, you need to have the compassion for human to human to recognize yeah. that that when one hurts, we all hurt. So it's yeah, an investment in the community. And compassion is this great Buddhist concept that they really emphasize. But the Dalai Lama famously said, you know, compassion isn't enough. You also have to act. Well, perhaps you have to take action to make something happen. Perhaps compassion isn't complete unless you've acted. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that compassion isn't just the warm fuzzies and empathy. It's compassion right. is, is, is being calm with the, that sense of witness. It's a with passion. So you can't be with unless you're, you're active in my mind. Yeah, that it seems it's always yeah. got to be an action. Otherwise, it's not really compassion. I mean, e- even if it's compassion yeah. in the sense of like I'm going to listen to you, that takes something to sit and mm-hmm. start and listen. You know, which you know, uh, all of that it takes. Uh, and, and be open to hearing and changing and doing. And so, <laughs> how do we yeah. act? How do how does that action, even if it's quiet action, uh, that's a, such a core part of compassion. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, uh, the new Pope, uh, Francis, I-, I like him most of the time, and uh, he said a really cool thing. He said, uh, we pray for the hungry, then we go feed them. That's how prayer works. Yes. Yeah, gotcha. And it's that that taking the steps of, of, um, of doing something more that's so important. It, it, it's part yeah. of love, isn't it? Isn't that where the love takes place? Is to, it moves us to action? That compassion yeah. and love is is then the manifestation of creating the connection, creating you know the opportunity to for betterment for all. Yeah, and and you know, love is usually associated with romance and stuff like that, but. Uh, in the context of, 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 of the faith journey, it's, this, it's a commitment. It's an act of will. It's something you de- decide to do. And in the, in the, the process of committing our, our, our church life to uh, homeless families, uh, that, that process has been going on for 10 or 12 years now. And, and we, there we see these small pieces of incremental progress. I got to tell you about one one uh, family that really sticks out to me. 
Uh, we have uh, the good thing that Scott and Carver County have done is they've uh, created a, a service center in the lower level of our church, uh, where Beacon Interfaith Housing uh, uh, helps process people, registers them with the county uh, to find out if there's housing available, uh, finds them uh, food, and you know so they can save up for a down payment, uh, helps them organize their finances. Uh, if they need a job, they help them find a job. If they need a place to sleep because they're working at night, there's a bed there. And so we see families coming in and out of our church on a regular basis. So there's this one family, mother, father, three kids. The father had a great job, uh, and then he got sick. And there was a mysterious illness, and he was sick for like five weeks, uh, and he lost his job. They fired him. And because they lost his job, they couldn't pay their rent, and they got uh, evicted. So here's five people sleeping in an SUV, okay? Wow. They come into the program, and uh, it, it takes quite a while to find a place for five people that's affordable because we don't build enough places for people to live. Right. So I'm seeing this woman on a regular basis, and I'd say, yeah, nice day today. Because you don't say, hey, how's the homeless thing going, right? <laughs> Probably not but, a tactful thing to open with, for sure. No, they're... <laughs> They're very self-conscious. They, they feel, you know, embarrassed. Sure. Uh, but we also knew them to be, you know, great people, regular people, and they're getting their act together. And then one day I just said, uh, nice day today. And she turned and said, you know, we got some good news. We're moving into an apartment on Friday. And then oh. she burst into tears oh. and she gave me a hug and she said, the kids are really looking forward to it. Oh, my gosh. That's... And I just thought, okay, I'm... I'm spending my time in the best possible way I can is to contribute to creating this infrastructure to help these people who are nice, normal people who are getting screwed by a system that doesn't build affordable housing. Okay? And, and the power of that love gets manifested yeah. into empowerment. And, yeah. and it, it, it is a lesson for us all in it, it enriches our love as well. I mean, it's a gift back yeah. to, back to you. I'm assuming that that must have just filled you with such grace and glory at that moment that that they had a place. Um, it's very humbling and very rewarding. Is that is that you know we we feel like we're just pushing this rock up a hill, yeah, uh, and and we don't see much progress on a day to day basis. <clears throat> but the fact that we stuck with it, yeah, meant that stuff could eventually happen. So it's the commitment to make that act of love. Well, Pastor Dean, over time. Well, Pastor Dean, I gotta take a break, and then we'll have okay. a short fourth segment. But we will be back. We'll to, be back to talk more with you and, and learn more about the wonderful work you're doing uh, with Minnesota Housing. And thank you for staying with us on AM nine fifty, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. And we have been talking about the diversity of types of love um, in our lives and aspirations of love. And uh, in our last conversation, in our last segment, um, we had Pastor Dean be sharing with us about love is justice and looking at housing and looking at ways that we can expand our love and thinking about what can we do to make a difference. And Rick Bernardo, you are the creator of the love as diversity 
uh, right. seconds. Right, yeah. o- only for this broadcast, not mm. not for the whole world. But uh, I can be an overachiever otherwise. But we've got Pastor Dean J. Seal with us from uh, Shepherd of the Hill Presbyterian Church in Chaska, and uh, we had been speaking in this whole broadcast about different forms of love. Uh, Maggie Hoffman was talking about careers and vocations, and uh, Pastor Dean is talking about his work in justice and housing. There is a uh, wonderful line from Frederick Beekner that uh, uh, vocation is uh, where you are called to the place where your own deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And I love that idea, if we can ever find that sweet spot in our lives. And Pastor Dean, you've been working in the seams of that yourself. Um, there is yep. up, up, upcoming an event at the Capitol. Can you tell us a little more about that? That uh, I, I understand that's uh, March 20th? Yeah, it's uh, Monday, March 20th. Um, there's a bill that uh, Beacon Interfaith Housing is, is putting forward with uh, all the other uh, housing organizations like Project for Pride and Living and Habitat for Humanity. Uh, and it's, uh, they did the math. They said we can end homelessness in the state of Minnesota for $1.7 billion. Wow. And the state has a, a, a surplus of, I think it's like $12, 13000000000 billion right now. And they did a demonstration at the Capitol uh, in January, and they were hoping for 100 people, and 200 people showed up. And they were hoping for one speaker from the uh, Senate to show up. And the governor, the lieutenant governor, the the, uh, uh, Senate majority leader, and the Speaker of the House came to speak on behalf of this bill. Wonderful. So we've got a trifecta of uh, three branches of the government that want to make something happen. Now, this is a justice issue because our system will subsidize a rich person building a $20 million mansion on Lake Minnetonka by giving them a tax break on the interest uh, of their mortgage. But they don't subsidize housing for people who work for a living. Okay, so we're not just talking about about people who work at Target, but we're also talking about policemen. We're talking about teachers. We're talking about normal people who can't find a place to live because we don't build them a place. Pastor Dean, how how do they find out how to get there and to support it? You know, is there a a website or is there information that they can get access to? Uh, Beacon Interfaith Housing or uh, chaskachurch.com for Shepherd of the Hill. And uh, you can uh, uh, send us an inquiry on that. And or we, call us at uh, 952-448-3882. And, when, and, and give Jessica that one more time? Clear people. Can you give that phone number? 952-448-3882. And we'll also include that on the um, on our podcast overview. Great. And, and, and ideally, you'd like to have people join you at, at the Capitol. Yes. Come on down. Well, they can they can they can meet us at church at nine a.m. that day, and we're gonna we're gonna fill a bus and bring the bus down there. And uh, Beacon has promised everybody hot chocolate when they arrive. And what I love awesome. what I love about this is that not only it, that one point two billion helps people get homes, but it also creates a better economy. It's an investment for yes. everyone. Um, it's yes. not just to give as a nice gesture. This is a, an investment in having our economy just blossom because everyone has yes. a right to have a home. Yes, and it's not it's not just building. They also are fully funding Section Eight housing. Section Eight housing is where the state will subsidize people who are spending more than thirty percent of their income. 
on rent. So come on <clears> down <throat> on March 20th and make sure that you're part of the march on the Capitol. Thanks so much, Pastor yes. Dean. We so much appreciate you being part of our show today. Thank you. Thanks for having me.